the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to have you with us. It's been an exciting weekend here at Bethany Covenant Church. We had the honor of hosting our East Coast Conference annual meeting, ministers on Friday and delegates on Saturday. It was a full weekend. I want to thank everyone who had a role in helping us host that. It took quite a team. Uh, so thank you, those who volunteered. I want to give special thanks to uh, Patty and Rob and the hospitality team. They just knocked it out of the park. Uh, I had many people mention to me during the weekend, uh, they, they said, you've got a beautiful facility, but even more so, you know how to do hospitality well. And so they made us look really good. Our staff went above and beyond. I want especially to thank Sandy Pelletier, who was our logistics guru uh, from day one, putting the details together, as well as Pastor Chris, who uh, really crafted a beautiful and meaningful worship service for us on Friday night and headed up All Things Tech. Thank you. I would also love for us to... uh, Congratulate Howard Burgoyne this morning. During the meeting, Howard was re-elected as our conference superintendent. <laughs> Howard, we thank you for your work and we will continue to pray for you. I'm thankful we had the Duttons here this morning uh, sharing with us this update from the field and explaining their uh, new reality, uh, new phase of ministry. It's a good reminder that even though we don't see our missionaries' faces all the time, they are valued mission partners with us. They are part of how we live out our mission together to invite people to know God, to follow Jesus, and to serve our neighbors. This has always been the mission of the church, to be growing as disciples of Jesus who go and make more disciples of Jesus, to be people who ourselves are heading toward Jesus and pointing people toward Jesus, and serving together in his name. We see in scripture, though, that in those first early days, just after the resurrection of Jesus, when the church was just this this kernel, this, this struggling, fledgling group, there was a state of confusion and bewilderment. The mission didn't seem crystal clear. The risen, physical Jesus had appeared to these disciples several times, But there still seemed to be a lingering question hanging over the disciples. Now what? What are we supposed to do? Jesus had come among his friends and presented them with physical proofs that he was indeed risen from the dead. Not appearing just as some ghost, but but physical with a body, with flesh and blood. And he had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of a gift from the Heavenly Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom he had taught them about and had promised would indeed come to them. But as they waited, the Gospels talk about them being caught up with fear and uncertainty. What exactly were they supposed to do as they waited? And so rather than pace the floor for one more hour, Peter went back to his favorite pastime and his former occupation. He went fishing We're told that six other disciples were around him at the time, and they immediately latched on to this idea 
we're coming too. We've got nothing going on either. And so they all went out together. But after fishing all night, they had nothing to show for their efforts. Now, they actually might not have been terribly disappointed. I think if Peter had a bumper to put a sticker on, the sticker would read, a bad night of fishing is better than a good day of waiting around. (laughs) And then early in the morning, as they started to make their way back to the shore, they could make out a lone figure there on the beach. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now John, the gospel's author, quickly concludes from this uh, seemingly miraculous turn of events and their change of fortune that only Jesus could have been the one calling out this advice to them from the shore. Maybe he had wondered if he had recognized some familiar note in the words of this stranger. And Peter didn't hesitate, but he jumped right out of the boat, getting to Jesus as quickly as possible. And we get a sense, I think, that this is actually what Peter had been waiting for. He was sick of waiting around. He just wanted another opportunity to be with Jesus. And so he swam all the way to shore. And when they finally heaved and struggled the boat and the overloaded net to the shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Come and have breakfast, Jesus invited them. And I imagine a twinkle in his eyes as he says this. Here's this professional group of fishermen who have been skunked all night. Here's Jesus quietly roasting some fresh fish on a bed of coals, probably with not a net or a pole in sight. He says, come on, I'll give you something to eat. John says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus did something that I can only imagine filled their heads with memories and meaning. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this wasn't the first time that Jesus had given them bread and fish when they were hungry. The gospels tell of two miraculous feedings to crowds of thousands of people during the time when Jesus had been traveling with his friends going from place to place, teaching about the kingdom of God and healing the sick. And in each instance, Jesus had taken a small amount of fish and a small amount of bread, given thanks to God, broken it and given it to his disciples and said, now you feed the people. And in each case, everyone ate to their satisfaction and there were plenty of leftovers. And so that morning on the beach, the disciples must have remembered those earlier meals of bread and fish. And something else must have stirred in their hearts and minds as Jesus took bread and offered it to them. Because it hadn't been long after all since he had taken bread, offered thanks to God, broken it and given it to them, telling them that this was his body that was about to be offered up to death so that they might live. Jesus offered them at that Passover meal the bread and the cup and told them he was offering them his very body, his very blood to nourish and sustain them. And that night as they had gathered around the Passover table in an upper room, 
There was a lot of confusion, but I'm sure that they remembered as Jesus talked about the body and the blood that an argument had arisen between Jesus and some of the religious leaders just on the heels of that first miraculous feeding of 5,000 people. Jesus had said to them at that time, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, this teaching was extremely challenging, John tells us. But Jesus consistently insisted throughout his ministry that real life, abundant life, eternal life, consists of abiding in him in such a way that his disciples somehow actually feed on him. It might not be an entirely comfortable idea or image, but it's as if Jesus is telling us, do you need to stick so close to me? You can taste me. You're clinging that close. You're stuck to me. Jesus forced the people listening to him to consider what was truly nourishing their lives. Was it this intimate, close, abiding, personal relationship with the Son of God? Or was it, in fact, someone else that was sustaining them or something else? This morning, we once again have an opportunity to gather at the table of our risen Lord, to be nourished, to be sustained for the life that Jesus calls us to live as his disciples. It's an amazingly satisfying life, but as you know, it can be an incredibly challenging one as well. And so we come because we are invited. We come for a few moments from out of the world and we come and gather together as brothers and sisters to be nourished at this table so that then we can be launched back out into the world to live the kinds of life that God calls us to in our everyday world so that we're strengthened for the next steps in the journey. Last week, as we had the wonderful privilege of coming alongside three of our friends around the pool of baptism, we looked at the nature of the sacraments, the font and pool of baptism, the bread and the cup of communion. And we saw that as we participate as the body of Christ in these ancient acts of the church, we do something because God is doing something. At the communion table and in the water of baptism, we publicly and in a physical way declare our faith. But our action is always a response to the work and activity of God. In these sacraments, we point to the grace of God 
The grace that's the only way we even are invited into the waters of baptism, into the cup and bread of the table. As I said last week in the sacraments, we do things that point to what God has done, that point to what God is doing, and that point to what we trust God will continue to do as we place our faith in him. Just a few weeks ago, we began the season of Lent by gathering together and and being marked, being marked with ashes to signify our mortality. And then the following Sunday, we gathered here at the table to be nourished so that we might live out our mortal lives in the way God intends, to be sustained in that mortal journey. And on that Sunday, as we gathered at the table, we were reminded of the words of Jesus, who said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes or cleans so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. One way we remain close to Christ, abide in him, is is to remain faithful to the body, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we come to the table, we recognize it's not just about us and Jesus. We look to our left and our right, and we see our brothers and sisters who also gather at the table. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In the early church, meeting together very often meant celebrating the Lord's Supper together. The admonition here is don't miss out on what you can gain by being together and meeting with Jesus at the table. Now the bread that we're about to eat, the cup, the juice that we're about to drink, won't necessarily sustain us if we go out this afternoon for a long run or hike or a bike ride, we're not gonna be taking in a lot of calories. To say that we are nourished at this table doesn't necessarily imply that we're coming away with full bellies. But as we gather as the body of Christ and meet our head here at the table, we find that our hearts are full and our souls are nourished and sustained We find ourselves mysteriously and yet somehow tangibly connected to the true vine who enables us to do anything at all. And for the follower of Jesus, this is not mere ritual. Sarah Groves is a Christian singer-songwriter and recording artist in the Minneapolis area. And her song, Awakening, speaks to the deep truth of what we gather to celebrate and participate in today. I woke up this morning and realized Jesus is not a portrait or stained glass windows or hymns or all the tradition that surrounds us. I thought it would be hard to believe in, 
but it's not hard at all to believe I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's not asking me to change in my joy for martyrdom. He's asking to take my place, to stand in the gap that I have formed with his real, amazing grace. And it's not just a sign or a symbol. It's not just a metaphor for love. The blood is real, and it's not just a symbol of our faith. His blood is real. It's not just a symbol of our faith. St. Augustine spoke of the sacraments as visible words. The covenant book of worship says that it is precisely in the administration of the sacraments that something goes public, a mystery is disclosed, something is being communicated, and something pledged. At the table, we communicate that Jesus comes and offers his very body and blood that we might be saved. And we pledge that we will go nowhere else to seek salvation or nourishment for our souls. During worship, during, at times we gather at the table, the call to communion some, sometimes goes like this. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life, all who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them, all who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, are invited to draw near with faith and to receive this holy sacrament. Now you can hear in that invitation that there, that there is a line that's drawn. The table is in fact not open to everyone, but you also hear in those words where the line is not drawn. One does not need to be a member of Bethany Covenant Church or a member of any covenant church to participate at this table today. One does not need to demonstrate a certain level of righteousness or holiness or biblical knowledge to come to the table. One does not need to be confirmed to celebrate this meal together. Instead, the table is open to anyone who has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's been said that the ground is very level at the foot of the cross and at the perimeter of this table. All who claim Christ as Lord are welcome. And as we gather, there's really nowhere else that we would go to find that we have met with Christ and be nourished and sustained by him. After Jesus had fed the 5,000 and began that difficult teaching about eating his body and drinking his blood, the gospel writer John tells us that on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've got nowhere else to go. But thanks be to God, Jesus invites us, come. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, Messiah, 
Christ, risen Lord and Savior, we praise you and we worship you today. And as we come to the table you have set before us, remind us again of our deep need to be with you, to cling to you, to remain in you. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us here and nourishing us here. We pray in your holy name. Amen.